I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? But the people on the internet put all their sodas in the nice bins and all their berries that stack just as so, and it fits like a Tetris in their fridge. Those are wonderful. Do you know this Asian lady that's like super notorious for for being this uh, organizer? She's late. I've watched all her shows. I'm like, this is stuff I've been doing my whole life. Oh, yeah. Maria. Maria. Marie uh, Kondo. Kondo, yeah. Um, I, I will sadly say, go look at my shirt drawer and my pants drawer and my sock, everything. Like, you've, my beer fridge is an absolute mess right now and it's still pretty organized. Yeah, so, I thought it looked great. I didn't even yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> no, go into our kitchen and find any food where the label's not facing the right way. Mm-hmm. It's. My my nerdy wife and my Asian nerdy self can't. Yeah, those videos, they satiate me. It's yeah. kind of like porn. Marie Kondo <laughs> gave up, though. Did she? she? Yeah, she had a kid. <laughs> You're serious, too. Mm-hmm. Man, I, she gave up her career doing what she was doing, or now her life's just totally disorganized? She gave up on the whole organization thing. She's like, there's a tiny human now, so. It ruins everything <laughs> I do. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's what Sam did to you. A tiny human ruined your life. <laughs> Boom. Basically. Yeah. And now there's shit everywhere. What are you guys doing? That's weird. She was brown when I showed up. I don't know. <laughs> All so, right, you guys. And oh, just good. like that, Great we place are to start. live. Oh, no, we started it, was, it was right after you said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Kate LaFleur, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, he's been recording for a while, so I don't think we have anything that we need to, need to hide there. Normally, we ask you off the air if there's anything you don't want to talk about, but we snuck it in. So just like if we hit that topic you don't want to talk about, just derail it yourself, and I'm sure we'll uh, easily get distracted, like just a little shiny squirrel or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, you uh, you caught my attention early on as a skydiver, and... Uh, just quite frank, and, and I've been honest with you about it, is I watched some of the people you hung out with, and I'm like, I don't know about this young lady. She just, the people she's hanging out with, I'm not sure she's going to make the best life decisions. Um, they're all nice people. Nothing wrong with them, but just like, man, I don't. And very quickly, I saw you just meander through the crowd, and you made friends along the way the entire way, so it seems. Um, everybody likes you, and that's one of the things that I found neat about you is... A, you were making decisions and, and being careful, like, hey, not my style, friend, I'll move on, but yet I'll still be respectful, nice, and homies with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was unique to watch you navigate society of skydiving. So uh, enjoyed watching it. You have how many skydives now? 305. And you showed up to Spaceland with how many? 120. And how long ago was that? That was March of 21. Okay. Um, came for my coach course, was way too early to be getting my coach rating, but I was overambitious and overconfident, as you are with 100 jumps, yeah. and was humbled immediately by Spaceland. So I was really, really lucky. In what way? Um, just first off by the size and the structure. I had been to quite a few drop zones before, living in the van, wandering through places, but nothing had quite been like Spaceland. And at first it was a challenge of, you know, the anarchist in me wanted to say, fuck this authority. Like, uh-uh, not this place. I'm going to do the class, 
get the hell out and go back to a rough and tumble type of DZ that I'm used to. But with the structure actually came a lot of safety and comfort and a vibe I found really well and a lot of great lessons. <laughs> I uh, I want to be careful because every drop zone operates differently. And, and to me, that doesn't make any of them right, wrong, better. Uh, it just makes them all different. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very different vibes in this world and very different styles and taste and to each their own. Um, some girls like really hot chiseled guys like Nick Law and some people <laughs> like little chubby guys like me. So I feel good about that. I'm bald. I'm overweight. Not by much, but just a little bit. And uh, Valerie still loves me. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Um, where did you learn to jump? Where did you first start skydiving? Um, I did AFF at Delmarva in Lower Delaware. Yeah, I've heard the name. And that's about it I know about Delmarva. It was magical. It was wonderful. It was the place that will always be my first love. But after my seventh AFF jump, they closed permanently. And it was August. So I scrapped together in some way, shape, or form trying to finish getting my A license, but going to other East Coast DZs like Philadelphia, Cross Keys. It was just a challenge picking up the trust and where I was at with the instructors and the different programs that I just wasn't used to. Um, and then there was some some clickishness as well, of just like, oh, one of those Delmarva people, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I actually delayed getting my license because there was some financial issues with Delmarva. I had bought an A license package, didn't get my A, wanted some money back. They didn't send me anything, so I filed a claim with my bank, had to hold on to things for a while, so I held off thinking, okay, winter's coming. I'll just wait. I'll see what the bank does. Bank ended up refunding me my whole thing. So I got AFF for free, technically. My coaches were paid. That's all that matters. Um, and then the pandemic hit, right, as things were opening back up again. And I knew it was something I absolutely had to do. So one of my Del Martians invited me down to Paraclete, which is where I finished my A license. Del Martians. Is that actually a word or is that a U word? It's a it's a it's an existing yeah, Delmarva okay. thing. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard that. Um, I want to go backwards just a little bit. When you first spoke at Delmarva, you you showed a, a care, a caress, a concern, and I say caress for those who don't watch. You literally were hugging yourself as you spoke very fondly of it. What about Delmarva made it that place for you? It was the welcome. Um, I'd done a few tandems before deciding to do AFF. One was in California, vacation. It's what gave me the love of the sport. But I was living in Philadelphia, so obviously I couldn't learn in California. Um, And I'd gone to a few other places, and I felt like I was sitting at the cool kids' table, and I did not belong there. (laughs) So when I arrived at Delmarva, it was much more like I was surrounded by my nerdy, enthusiastic, neurospicy people who were just geeking out and having a great time. Um, And they were also just very patient with me when I was having some fear. They gave me a lot of grace um, and a lot of cool people. So and and they knew I was driving two hours down from Philadelphia to lower Delaware. So I had invites of like, hey, I've got a spare room. If you feel comfortable with that, you can also bring a tent. I can lend you my cot if you want to do. Give me plenty of options and a lot of room for whatever I felt safe with. Sounds like uh, one hell of a community. Mm -hmm. It's. For me, my, my first drop zone was a place called Air Adventures, and I only spent like 120-ish jumps there. Where was Air Adventures? Uh, San Diego. Okay. It was uh, 
Skydive San Diego used to be south of where it is at. Mm-hmm. And when it was south of where it was at, it was known as Air Adventures. Um, south of where? Isn't that basically Mexico? Yeah. Uh, our target, our, our, our landing area was 2,000 feet from the Mexico fence, the like literally mm-hmm. Tijuana fence. And I've measured this on Google Earth because I've been super curious about how close. Um, I was jumping at Elsinore and I landed, uh, my buddy and I landed off and he landed in one field. I landed in the other field and I walked out. I'm like, man, you're an idiot. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, you just like dodged how many cows? I only had one cow to dodge. <laughs> and he's like, bro, oh, no. you're supposed to land in the field with more cows. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? Explains to me one cow's a bull, a bunch of cows are just mm-hmm. cows. You're good. To, you know, you're not supposed to land in that field. And asks me, what did they teach you in your first jump course? And I said, what to do if you land in Mexico? <laughs> and there is no joke. We were taught what to do if we land in Mexico. Um, sorry, I'm going to put my phone on. Do not disturb. It'll drive me bananas. Um, and there was uh, inside your jumpsuit, there's a pocket. There's some change. There's enough to call us. There's directions, instructions on what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other bits of instructions. So, yeah, it's. Uh, it, when you're under canopy between like two and 3,000, I don't remember the altitude feet, you're going to stop hearing us on radio and you're going to hear Mexican taxi drivers. No joke. Um, and guess what? No joke. No joke at all. Remember the song, I'm on a Mexican radio? I'm on a Mexican. Yeah, totally. Dude, I would go to the drop zone playing that shit because I was on a Mexican radio and I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Could you still hear the instructors as well? No, no, no. You, you had, lost them you totally. You had like a thousand feet of just nothing. A thousand feet of all you could hear is and whatever Spanish I can't speak. So mierda. That means shit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. Um so it was a, a great place, great instructors, everything went well. Um I never saw a student land off there. I only have 120 jumps there. I did see fun jumpers land off there who didn't listen to what they were told. Yeah. I was a young jumper on on a load and I was told to do something, and the guy who told me was I didn't know him well, but I had a lot of respect for him. I'm like, well, if he tells me to do this, he's like pretty smart. He's done this a really long time. Let me try it. And that was always my philosophy. If a guy's done this for a living for a really long time, I'm probably going to try his advice at least once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem to always be the most popular trend. but So you uh, start in a, in a loving community. You bounce around. You don't find a home. Mm-hmm. Um, what about XP drew you in? Um, it, it honestly, it was because it was one of the few places that was flying because it was, <laughs> it was April, 2020. Did they not shut down at all? Um, they did for about a week and then they started right back up. Um, because with their military contracts too, the fines oh, sure. were less than what they were making. Um, uh, but jump tickets were like 45 bucks a piece because they could only put 10 people in the otter. That was part of the stipulations of the state letting them stay open is the whole social distance, 10 people, less than 10 people. Dude, that would be sick. I don't like the $45 rate, but like just 10 people in an otter is a limit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I get the fee, but dude, that would just be a good day of all day having to do it that way. Yeah. Not in an operational standpoint in a fun jump. We talked about that when we were looking at different options about, what we were going to do to reopen of, Hey, are we going to try and do social distancing or are we just going to say, Hey, just like most things in skydiving, you're going to participate at your own risk. Mm-hmm. Didn't you guys do like a couple weeks of limited loads? We talked about it. Never happened. Okay. Nope. We just sent airplanes. There were so many conversations there at the time. It was hard to keep track of what happened and didn't. Um, 
So XP just it was a place. Yep. It worked and out for I you. had a free couch to stay on and it was a seven hour drive. Okay. And how old were you when you started jumping? I was twenty nine. Twenty nine? Yep. And what are you doing with your life at this point? Where are you are you working? Are you in school? Or yeah. where are you at? Um I had will, been... will you pull that microphone just a little more in front of you? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, go. remember that whole it's a <clears throat> I don't have a mustache. I can't you can, st- you can still, there yeah, you go. You can pull that thing <laughs> over as far as you want. That arm will swing that way another two feet. Oh, yeah. Good. You, you, you just take it with you. It's all good. Um, but I had, uh, I'd been living in Philadelphia for about three years, four years maybe, and had really caught a good vibe. Uh, Philly was a place where I knew no one, started over fresh with my job. They had transferred me there and I got to create whomever the fuck I wanted to be. And, and so I did, um, which happened to be a badass derby player doing roller derby and, um, you know, just rocking and rolling with some badass boss babes. And, um, I did not see that. Coming. <laughs> I was learning burlesque and did some burlesque with a troupe called Slurch or Slut Church, which was heavy metal burlesque. <laughs> um, and, I had some some great partners. I'm polyamorous, so I had a girlfriend and a boyfriend that I dated separately. I got to go back to the slurch thing. <laughs> okay, that sounds like such an appropriate name for the description. Has this gave. been on a network TV show at any point? The 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 metal burlesque ladies. I'm not sure. Okay, I mean, it, I they seem. It actually sounds familiar. It sounds like something I've heard of, mm-hmm. and I haven't stalked you that far, so <laughs> I don't think I know it for that reason. All right, sorry. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> so, Polly Amish, Amorous, you were dating your girlfriend and boyfriend, boyfriend at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and where were we were from there? What was going on? Um, and, and then I was just, I was vibing and um, I got really lucky where I won some tickets to a music festival in Sonoma County where I had, had a friend out there and he was a licensed skydiver. So he'd always kind of goaded me of, hey, if you're ever in Sonoma County. Let me know. I'll throw you out of a plane. And when he made that bet, I was 280 pounds. I was about to get married. Um, and I just thought it was never going to happen. And he was a fresh A-licensed skydiver who had to tell everyone that he jumped out of planes. But five years had passed, and I'd lost a ton of weight, obviously broken off my engagement, and was like, you know what? This is, this is fuck yes, Kate. Like, let's go jump out of a plane. I'm going to be in Sonoma County. Why not? I, I got to ask you about being 280 pounds. I had no idea that that was ever part of your life. Yes. That's, that's uh, I mean, I can tell by looking at you, you're a much different weight than that. <laughs> yeah, I was a chonk. I was a chonk. Eating your feelings is real. Um, and a lot of pop or soda, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and, and beer. Although, where are you from originally? Uh that's a really loaded question. I mean, where did you learn the word pop? That's what I'm asking. I spent a lot of summers in Minnesota. Yeah, okay, my, Midwest. My say. Midwest senses are tingling. Right? When you <laughs> said pop, like my ears perked up. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> people, spent, don't, people don't call it that in a yeah. lot of places. I spent time in Indiana, and I felt like I was back in, in yeah. hillbilly country. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my treat growing up was always a Fago pop, and that was like Minnesota murder mitten type regional thing. Fago's like the orange mm. stuff, right? I don't, I don't think they have an orange flavor. Nope, Fago's like a brand. Know. It's also like known as Juggalo Pop. Yeah, because see, that's, it's, I have that connection, yeah. Yep. 
But I yeah. thought it was orange, but fuck me, I don't know. Yeah. So you uh, lost uh, a pretty good amount of weight. Mm-hmm. How, how did that happen for you? Um, I So I got gastric bypass surgery. Okay. That's what really enabled it for me. Um, I was seeing a doctor to try and get my tubes tied because I'm aggressively child-free and have always known that kids are just gross, in my <laughs> opinion, and I didn't want one. Um, and when I went to ask to get my tubes tied at like 25, I think was the time when I was trying, the doctor laid it out to me. I'm like, hey, you're pre-diabetic. You're high blood pressure. You're using a CPAP. Like you're going to die before you're 40 anyway, so you can try. But let's let's figure this out first. And it required a supervised diet plan medically and everything before I could get my stomach cut out. Were there any other objections about your age and your desire to no longer be able to procreate? Oh, my God. So many. It took... Uh, 12 doctors over nine years to finally find someone who would tie my tubes. So you started looking when you were quite young? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm curious, uh, just just kids are yucky or was it, is it deeper than that? It's, I'm, I'm a selfish human. I, uh, I like my things a certain way. I don't know. The world is crumbling. We might not even have a planet in 50 years for all we know. It's just there's been zero interest ever. Um, you know, there was a time, a small time in my life when I was a Mormon housewife and there was pressure to have children and it just felt, everything felt so unnatural. Mm-hmm. Being married, being LDS, being pushed to multiply and replenish the earth. But yeah, the kids was the biggest squick. So we're going to come back to Mormon Housewife. <laughs> I'm, I'm still caught up on this uh, weight loss. How, how long did it take you to, to lose the weight? Nine months. I lost 140 pounds. That's amazing. And um, I uh, actually got down to about 105 pounds in an unhealthy way and had to learn to fuel and feed myself properly to get back to about a healthy weight where I am now, about 120, 125. So is that still... I'm pretty close with a couple of people who've had a similar surgery. Mm-hmm. Does it still affect the amount that you're able to eat in a given meal? Yes, I can eat about a fistful, like a small banana. I'm full. What does that do for your cravings for food? Um, it It's difficult, but I have finally fine-tuned it where because I can have so little, what I'm eating better be fucking delicious or highly nutritious ideally both because it's only so much that i can eat but i also eat every 90 minutes two hours because oh really because your body's just burning through it that fast yes okay so right now favorite junk food right now what's it gonna be uh shamrock shakes i have no idea what that is (laughs) it's like the mint chocolate chip shake at mcdonald's that's only around for saint patrick's day Oh, okay. I can imagine. Yep. Mint chocolate chip is my jam. Yeah. Or uh, the Trader Joe's has a, a mint chip Oreo ice cream sandwich. So that's perfect. Like a little tiny. I can eat something healthy and have a little ice cream mint chip sandwich. Okay. Let's go to the other side. What healthy food? What are you trying to eat that you know is good for you? Uh, f- any and all protein. Just more meat in general. I grew up not eating a lot of meat, so I'm having to force myself to eat. Try and like 85 grams of protein a day is a lot, and I hate protein shakes, so I'm just scarfing down. And God, I hate kale, but I have to eat it. Yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a kale person. 
I, I have heard people talk about it being good for you. I'm not sure if I if I believe it. I love kale. It's so I don't know, man. It's I'm just not into it, man. I honestly have never liked uh, like leafy green vegetables. I can trick myself into enjoying it. You know, I can build a salad with all the right stuff and and make it uh, seem good. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were a vegetarian for how long? I grew up vegetarian, um, so I didn't have meat until I was about thirteen, fourteen, and uh, I slowly had a little bit of meat in my teen years, and then spent some time just full vegan until marrying my husband as a Mormon. Okay, so your parents were they vegetarian? Yes. Okay. Weird paradox of fucking hippies and Mormon, like Seventh Day Adventists, <laughs> not anything like that. I, I don't know what no, that okay, is. Okay, that's a different, different different religion. You'd you'd know, I'm sure, if they were. Yeah. Uh, okay, so were you Mormon as a kid? Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, where where you got to tell me where 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 did your parents live when they were Mormon? Salt Lake. Okay, great. Now yep. it all now it all makes sense. <laughs> I'd I'd have a similar childhood. Um, uh, and then did did you leave the religion at all before you came to to this marriage? Yes. Okay. Yes, I spent my teen years rebelling, um, you know, angsting. The the vegan part came with the, an anarchist commune called the Boeing Collective, um, and just you know, wild. That's that part of the but the bike house is is that all that same stuff? Does mm-hmm. that familiar to you? The bike uh-huh. house? Okay, great. Yep. Yeah, fucking weird. Um, and you know, a lot of punk for rock. those who don't know, we're talking. The bike house is like a house full of anarchists squatting in a house that they've just taken over in Salt Lake City. Do you know if it's still there? I I don't. I know that the Boeing Collective is still a community collective, and they're still doing food, not bombs. Um, but I don't. I don't know if they have the bike house, or there was also the Boeing House um, downtown as well that had a lot of um, like Boeing dinner nights. So they would dumpster dive for food and just put something together and have a punk rock band play in the living room, <laughs> and it's just we all thought we were so cool. We were. That's that anarchist <laughs> shit. That's it. We're all straight edge and just, um, you know, wild, wild and free. I'm sure plenty of people won't know what straight edge means. Yeah, oh, no drinking, no drugs, just punk rock and fuck authority. And w- and what was that like in Salt Lake City at the time? <laughs> I mean, um, everyone was drinking, and that was about it. I mean, other than the Mormon moms and their oxies and probably methamphetamines but yeah they've heard there's like a serious uh, drug problem amongst uh, many mormon uh, like many mormon moms oh, absolutely. like that there that it came from uh, like oxycontin and those types of medications and then that stuff got too expensive and then heroin's a problem and now that's super cheap mm-hmm. and yeah. and like fentanyl is becoming a thing because you don't smoke it and you can't like you just put a patch on and you're good and you're groovy but then your kids see it and it's just like oh it's a sticker or a band-aid and you're fine um, but then also on the opposite side of things, like something like Adderall or meth is a huge problem because you've got eight kids you're keeping up with and <laughs> carting around and somehow you've got to like side hustle and use your TikTok and your sensi and, you know, sell things and provide for your family as well. I don't know how they do it. I mean, eight kids and Adderall seems like a great combination. <laughs> okay. So we go uh, vegan, straight edge, full rebellion, and then you come back to Mormonism. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Uh, it's what the, the Utahns call a flirt and convert. Um, so I, I joined back up because of a boy, because I'm an idiot. You know, when you're 19, 20 years old, you do stupid shit. Um, so I met a boy. 
we started dating. It got really serious and decided to get married in, in Utah. A normal courtship or dating is four to six months. So we were together about five months when we... And, and you were about 20? Yep. Yep. That's it. Totally legit. Everything's fine. You know, let's just seal ourselves together for all time and eternity and multiply and replenish the earth with eight crotch goblins. <laughs> <laughs> I love the term crotch goblin. One of my faves. <laughs> like everyone knows what they're doing at 20, right? Totally fine. Um, so we got married and that was that was my life for about a year. So no crotch goblins in that time? Nope. All right. Nope. Uh, skirted that one, and my husband turned out to be the person I didn't want to be with. I found out I didn't love him. I didn't even really like him. So we got divorced, and in that divorce, there was a few other things that I don't want to get into, but I essentially got excommunicated from the church, and he was disfellowshipped or grounded from some of the privileges you're given in the Mormon church. No more getting in the temple? Yep. You got to give up those secret handshakes, too? Yep, yep. But you still got to wear the secret undies. Okay, good. Yeah. How come I don't know about the undies? You don't know about... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there really are undies? I yes. thought that was sarcasm, the secret undies. <laughs> Magic Mormon underwear, Jesus jammies. Yeah, they, they call them garments. Yes. And if you looked at it, it would look like a plain white t-shirt and, and white briefs or white boxers. Mm-hmm. And they will. you'll hear, hear all sorts of stories and folklore in the Mormon community about uh, people who... You know, survived a stabbing or survived this or that. Someone died in a fire, but their body that was protected by their garments was totally unscathed. Mm-hmm. They believe it. It's awesome. So it can be any underwears and no, it's no. it's special. Like, where do you buy it from, Mormons? There, so LDS Incorporated, uh, Latter Day Saints. Yes, um, has the business side of things. So they have thrift stores called Deseret Industries, which is Goodwill type things. And next to those are distribution services, which sells the the temple apparel, including garments and the dresses, the shoes, the everything that you need to wear in the temple, as well as reference material, baptismal dresses, etc. Do you have to like be a part of the community to go to these places and and buy the garments? <laughs> Alex has got yes. I'm asking yes. for a friend, but no, no, but for real, like, can anybody just roll up or is this still kind of like a, you have to know people, it's a sacred thing? Like, um, So you, for the desert industries, the thrift store, anyone can go in and buy thrifty things. Um, But for distribution services, you do have to be a member and you have to have what's called a temple recommend or a, a card, much like your USPA card that has your photo, a barcode, and your membership number, almost like a gym membership. It's like a Costco card. Yeah, for undies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I had no idea. I was slightly aware of the undies, but I had no idea about the card and how it was sold. I never really thought that deep into it, but that's... Mm-hmm. I, mean, it I really sense. thought that was a joke, man. I thought I was being cute when <laughs> I said magic <laughs> undies. There's just like one little symbol sewn like over each nipple. Is that right? Um, no. so th- there's four <laughs> symbols really? total. <laughs> Now I think you're fucking with the No, I, no. I swear to God this exists. I'm okay, so sorry I'm not laughing tell. in yeah, belief. So I just like no, I, I was never you know, growing up in Salt Lake, Mormonism is just present. Yeah. Everybody calls it the church mm-hmm. and it's this this religion that's just kind of, you know, the mainstream thing when you're talking about people who are from Utah. You know, living in, in Salt Lake City, it's a pretty liberal place, but every small town area of Utah is is just Mormon people. Mm-hmm. But I was you know, as a kid, I maybe went to a Mormon church once or twice. I don't don't really even remember it because I was so young. So, like, 
being around it is one thing, but I never lived it. So I'm 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 also enjoying this. There there was like some trauma from when you go through the temple and you learn about the symbols. Um so there there are four symbols on the the magic Mormon underwear. There's one on each breast, one over your belly button, and one on your right knee. Why the right knee? because uh, that's where you will bow to Christ when he returns. Um but you're taught about these symbols. You aren't even like you, you know, the garments exist, your parents wear them. So usually that's where you see them. Um, but you don't receive them and learn about what they mean until you're an adult. You don't receive your full temple endowments until for women, when you get married and for men, when they go on their two year mission to preach the word of God. Um, so that's usually around 19, 20 years old for each gender. Um, and, and when you're learning about these symbols and what these garments mean, you usually have an old person. And for me, it was an incredibly old person <laughs> with ice for hands, taking a, a dental spigot and washing and anointing you naked in a temple, blessing you in various ways and touching you in various ways to go on the blessings. Um and then handing you your garments and letting and giving you the rules of what you must now adhere to. And it, it's a type of enforced modesty because the the free people or um, like the Amish call the English, essentially, anyone who's not Mormon should not see these. So you have to wear pants that are past your knees. You have to wear a T-shirt to cover your shoulders and that. For women, it, it does go pretty far up your chest. So you don't show a lot of cleavage. Um, and and there's a lot of scrutiny within the Mormon community because you can see underclothes if people are wearing their garments because for women, it's like this deep curve in the back. And for men, it's like an undershirt, but it's a very deep curve in the front or the eternal smile, as they call it. And so someone might say like, Oh, hey, I didn't notice your eternal smile today. Or if your garments are showing and they shouldn't be, then they'll just say, oh, hey, your your testimony is showing. <laughs> Still not a cult, though, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it, it's just a really weird Costco membership because you do have to pay 10% of all your income to get the card with your picture on it to go in the, the special building. Yeah, I remember uh, my sister kind of got into Mormonism. Like my, my mom didn't do any of it with us. Uh, you know, she never forced anything mm-hmm. on us. I think she took us to a few different churches, so we would have some, you know, acquainting with different religions. So if we wanted to choose to follow something, that uh, we were able to do that. But uh, I was probably thirteen or fourteen. My sister, I think she had a crush on one of these missionaries that she met. But they mm-hmm. ended up at the house, and they ended up trying to teach all of us about uh, about Mormonism. Yeah. And oh god, what were we just talking about? What I just my my memory just got jogged. You were just saying something that that made me bring up this story and about the stuff that they were teaching. Uh, testimony or oh, eternal smile. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, but th- that's this. They were trying to baptize everybody, and I just couldn't believe some of the stuff that they that they talked about. Mm-hmm. And I, this was the first time that I felt uh, like that racism. Maybe part of uh, the Mormon Church. Oh yeah, and th- I remember him saying, "Yeah, and and uh, oh, is it your tithing ten percent?" Yep. We, we were super big into skateboarding at this time, and he's like, "Hey, if God gave you ten skateboards, you'd give one of them back, right?" Like, yeah, totally. Like, so this is how he sol- sells me on the idea of, of tithing. Mm-hmm. But uh, sorry, I was getting to the racism thing, and he's talking about, "Oh yeah, in heaven everybody's white." 
And I went, oh, <laughs> like, it's like that, huh? But how, uh, how wild of, of a thing to be selling to a 13-year-old kid at the time. Yeah, and in 1978, God changed his mind about black people. Because um, it used to be, they couldn't hold the priesthood or be a full member and go in the temple as African-American people or people of color. So even indigenous people or, and then they're like, ah, oh, that's kind of limiting our, our membership. Sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like God's woke and he's accepting people Dude, of, he's, of yeah. minority. He's, yeah. he's bringing them in. Yeah, man. And you know what? Me and Boot are going to chill over here. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, how you doing, Ching Chong Bing Bong? <laughs> so he- here comes the the cycle of being an adult in the church, mm-hmm. marriage, divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you leave the church uh, after that? Uh, they they made me leave. They excommunicated okay, me. Okay, yeah, you mentioned okay. Um, and and so the pendulum of my life swung very far to the left again. Um, and I decided to go to college, and I wanted to do it in Portland. So I surrounded myself with a bunch of hippies and weirdos. Um, I was going to ask Oregon or Maine, but you just defined it. Yep, Oregon. Yep, Oregon. Um, it was right around the time that <clears throat> recreational marijuana had been legalized. So I was able to find a job as a bud tender. And um, the one I could find was at a pot-themed strip club called Buds and Biddies. So Jesus Christ, I am moving to fucking Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Um, and so I ended up like just kind of getting sexually liberated in college as well, um, joining the the kink scene and the the professional perverts of all things, and dancing for a while, um, doing some online porn, all that fun jazz. So yeah, big pendulum swing. And I went through that exact same phase. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Brian Menard's calling. He wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, it doesn't exist, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help myself. Oh, my God. Have you seen the show Portlandia? Yes. I feel like that was such an attempt at uh, irony that ended up just being so painfully accurate about yeah. uh, so many people there. You think. You think they're over-exaggerating. They're not. They are not. What, what did you enjoy about living in Portland? Um, I loved that I did not need a car for three years. Because it's small it's, and connected, and the it's social so, transport system's good. Yeah, it's it's just so easily like the the public transportation system was fantastic, or just being able to get around on your bike because it was flat and easy. Um, and I loved that there was art everywhere, no matter where you went. Everyone was trying to create something new and different. Yeah, it was a little annoying when your neighbor was trying to create a new bongo solo at 2 a.m., but <laughs> it, it's what you did in college, you know? <laughs> you hear a lot of people talk about living in the Northwest and uh, kind of the, the climate and depression. Mm-hmm. Is that a, Was that a real thing for you? Oh, no, it was my vibe. It was absolutely my vibe. The three months where the sun did come out, that's when I would double my antidepressants, unlike everyone else. Um, <laughs> it burns! <laughs> Nightwalker. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it was also probably because I lived in a place without air conditioning because air conditioning just wasn't a thing. Um, and so heat was, was not my friend at the time walking everywhere, biking everywhere. I just, I digged the moist, the cool, the good vibes of the beach and the coast and the green. So you moved to Texas. And then I moved to Texas. (laughs) Different pendulum swings. I was, again, in my twenties, you do different things. You vibe with different things. I also choose not to 
produce porn or do wild kinky shit anymore, but it was a good vibe then. <laughs> you, you have, uh, you're one of the most interesting onions I've ever <laughs> met in my fucking life. I, I told you earlier tonight that uh, I find you very interesting for various reasons. And every time we ask another question, there's another like, wow, really? <laughs> So it's uh, one of the things that I, I like about your story, period, is is you're very open. You're very uh, um, open to anything and about everything by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, try everything once and then decide from there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what what in your life happened? Has it always been you that way? Is that something that you chose to do? Is, is something happened to make you feel this way? Um, I mean, there... Ever since I was a kid, there was this seeking of, okay, when you do this, you will be whole. You'll figure it out. The light bulb will switch and everything will be fine. You'll just roll with it for the rest of your life, the the big rest of your life. Um, and, and so as I go through each part of you know the million different versions of me <clears throat> in the past, thinking this action, this scenario, this part of my personality will make me whole. And I'm starting to realize that actually I am a whole universe. With the ever unfurling edges and different things that I could get to discover and the million different versions of me that will be. And it, now it's like a choose your own adventure book. When you say the million different versions of you that will be, do you mean that just metaphorically as you or do you mean that in a multiverse there's a Brazilian of you out there? sense just in a metaphorical state okay okay we don't need to dive into the oh man we can i was super into that conversation (laughs) dude i I, i'm uh man i'm super confused about that conversation in general like man that what we realize we don't know like every, every year something some breaking thing is happening somewhere man just where we were like 100 200 300 years ago mm-hmm we can't even fathom what's happened over the last thousands of years and what's going to happen in the thousands of years to come. Mm-hmm. So I always question when somebody says the multiple versions of me or the infinite numbers of me or, uh, man, which one do you mean? So back to it. You you were fat. Mm-hmm. We were getting you out, out of being Perfect fat. Perfect segue. Let's That's go. Right one of, so you, you've not said it tonight. That One of the favorite things you've ever said to me is, I lost a whole Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Saturday you said that to yep. me. And I was like... One of the best ways I've ever heard that said. <laughs> like, that's yeah, a good thing to lose. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be what, like 160, 170 pounds? I have no earthly clue how big Justin Bieber is. Hey, I don't know how tall he is. Pretty skinny kid, though. Yeah. <laughs> Alex <laughs> is over here Googling his Doing stats. the googs. How, how old do you think Justin Bieber is now? 29. Is I thought he was my age, so I thought he was like 32, 33. How old's the Biebs? I don't have his age, but I can tell you he weighs 154 pounds Ooh. and is five foot nine. Stand by on his age. Yeah, he's a skinny guy. Yeah, yeah. Man, here we are. Like, what's yeah. the fuck <laughs> wrong with us? I'm so I mean, sorry some, you listen to the show. Sometimes you just ever. gotta know more about Justin <laughs> yeah. Bieber. The Biebs. I mean, yeah. uh, you were telling us a story about Justin Bieber when we showed up. 29. 29. 29. 29. Let's 29. go. I should have taken guesses. I wouldn't have guessed 29. <laughs> to me, he's like still 12. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, picture. I think of him like 24, 25. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I always picture like the little shaggy haired version. Of like yeah. When he first got discovered, like he's still that guy to me. Did, did you Get see the, the Justin Bieber roast? I saw parts of it. Man. I never watched it like start to finish. Pretty funny. Yeah, I love a good roast, so I've seen some of the some of the bits. Yeah, Chris D'Elia, Snoop Dogg. I think Martha Stewart was on his roast. <laughs> yeah. mm. Lots of good shit. Mm. 
But uh, uh, DJ, what did you say about about? I don't know. We lost we lost Justin Bieber, so (laughs) he's gone. He's out of here. Glad you like his music, though. (laughs) Dude, I love his music. (laughs) What are you talking about, dude? I do you think I knew his age by accident? I'm I'm certain. (laughs) It was a wild ass guess. Yeah, well, you, you were you, you were it. on the spot though. You were dead in the <laughs> twenty nine. Yeah, but it was like I knew he was close, but the confidence was totally fake. I'm like, yeah, twenty nine. And when you said twenty nine, I'm over here like, wow, <laughs> holy shit! I'm a so. believer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, you, so <laughs> Jesus, he's he's laughing because it's true. He realized that he's just uh, I, I just could not just say it. a little bit late to the party, but it's happened. <laughs> he's broken. Sorry, folks. The next podcast episode is going to be like all Justin Bieber posters in this room <laughs> instead of all the stuff we have on the walls currently. Let's make a collage. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, let's just go get a bunch of magazines, cut mm-hmm. out all the things. Were you a child of the 90s if you did not make a collage? I, I made. I was yeah, not a collage. child of the 90s. You didn't make a collage <laughs> on like a really big piece of poster board for like a science report that you had to do for school? I mean, we mainly chiseled them on stone. <laughs> <laughs> We carved it out on our walls in our cave. I don't believe you. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I believe you had parchment with like the feather, feather uh, doodads. Pens. Yeah, the founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Oh yo, what's happened? Nothing. That sounded like good news. It's phenomenal news, man. Is it the beeps? No. <laughs> Do you know him like he's, that? He's here. He just <laughs> rang, he rang guys, the doorbell. <laughs> can you guys continue without me for a moment? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I don't know why Siri thinks I'm talking to okay. her. So uh, we kind of ended your story in Portland, but mm-hmm. then you said that you started skydiving in Delaware. Um, so yes. how, how do we make the leap from one side of the country to the other? Um, so I was in Portland in college, and I was majoring in chemistry, and I realized I fucking hate chemistry. And oh well, where did the interest start? A great teacher I had in high school. Okay, it, honestly, he could have taught me anything, and I would have loved it. Just a great teacher. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I took him all three years in high school. It was at first basic chem because I needed it for you know little requirements, and I just wanted to stay in his class, whatever it took. So I exceeded in basic chem, then took honors chem, and then AP chem. Um, and so I figured, okay, it's college. It's I'm good at it. It was easy when I was being taught in high school. So majored in chemistry and then fucking hated it. Thought about my career options. Like, okay, I can be a teacher and make garbage money with, you know, sticky, tiny humans. Or I could be a pharmacist, which means eight more years of school. So I just opted to, nah. <laughs> so neither of those won out? Yep. Okay. So I, I just quit. Um, and I moved back in with my parents in Salt Lake City and just decided to take some time to breathe and regroup and financially reconcile what I had done because student loans were a bitch for an out-of-state private college and living in the dorm. Can I ask what your your student loans racked up to? 60000 Okay, yeah, that's a bill. That's mm-hmm. a bill and a half. Mm-hmm. And that that was just just this is chemistry, right? That's where that's where we ended up. Yep. Did did you go back to school after this? Um, I, I thought about it and I decided honestly no. Um, I found a decent job with a bank and I was feeling pretty content with that and just trying to figure out what the fuck else I wanted to do with my life, mm-hmm. but also how to get out of the hole of the sixty thousand dollars of student loan debt. And by then, I'd also carried on some other stupid debt: credit cards, cars. Etc. So it was just more like a scrape and put shit together, and also try and not be twenty five years old. Um, 
And living in your parents' basement. What are you basement. doing to me? What, are, what has happened right now? Oh Do you know what's God. happening right now? <laughs> yes. You're ruining my life right now. That's what you're doing. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, I have a serious problem <clears throat> with a place uh, in Pearland, Texas called Cineholic. And uh, they don't exist just in Pearland. That's uh, a thing. There, there's another one in Houston. I'm sure it's uh, it was on Shark Tank or something or- originally. I think they pitched the idea on Shark Tank. So it's a franchise place that's all over the place. They are the most delicious <laughs> cinnamon rolls that you will ever have in your life. They're good for you. And uh, yeah, they are vegan. So they're good for you. That's not mm, true. No. They're healthy. Vegan no. food is healthy. It's uh, still a bunch <laughs> of processed, are not healthy. processed wheat and sugar. It's uh, from heaven and hell at the same time. It's delicious. <laughs> and for some fucking reason, DJ just had Cineholic delivered here right now. Oh, boy. Why, why is this happening? The way the way that you left the room too, I'm like, oh man, something big is going down. <laughs> and we're probably not going to hear about it for a while if we hear about it at all. And then right when you rock up with that stuff, I'm like, uh-huh. we got talking about junk food, and you said the best junk food ever, and that just sent a holic hit my brain. And, I'm and like, then you, know you what? ordered it. That's why you I got distracted that, over you on my phone. Shit. Yeah, that whole like got on my phone like a child for a moment. Sorry, I was ignoring you guys, but. They're cineholic. Well, they're salt I'm, and I'm caramel glad you brought something. these plates and these forks for me to look at because I'm not. I can't do it. I'm on a diet. I didn't know you were on a diet. I'm always on a diet. <laughs> no, if, you're if it's not. not a cheat day, I'm on a diet. I can't eat all these by how, myself. How do so you gotta eat some this. of it. Oh why, my god! Why is it not a cheat day? Because it's just not. I had like two cheat months. <laughs> you remember? You remember when we were in Reno? I'm losing my voice. I'm getting so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. That was. I'm still recovering from all of that. Yeah, yeah, I can't do it. I'm either on the I'm on the wagon or I'm off the wagon. <laughs> and right now, I'm I've been on on the wagon since I've been on the last wagon. Wednesday no, for like five days. Yeah, I can't fuck it up now. <laughs> it's way too soon. I mean, that's not bad for a wagon ride. Five days. No, that's, that's nothing, <laughs> dude. That's nothing. That's zero. <laughs> that's a good, you know, I, travel. I take the long term wagon. I got. I'm like the pioneers, man. I got to get to California, <laughs> and you're gonna die of dysentery on the way there, like the Oregon I mean, Trail. I mean, maybe, but I'm gonna have a good time while I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you play the Oregon Trail on computers when you were a kid? No, no you're I'm too not young. Even familiar. Uh, kid, oh did you god. play? Oh my it? god, yes. fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. What's the Oregon Trail? You can tell me if you want. What's I the mean, Oregon it's trail? a terrible game with it's, a shitty storyline and worse graphics that okay. was the funnest game to play once a week when i was a kid once a week you went to the computer lab at the school and it to was learn a bunch to type of, yeah a okay. bunch of old macintosh yeah. computers that didn't do shit it, and uh it was all like way different than what you think about when you're looking at these computers right now but you'd play the game because that was that one of two or three games that existed on those computers at the time yeah, and it's a story about the pioneers, and someone always dies of dysentery. Yeah, I just looked it up, Google Images, and like like 10 out of the 20 photos are, you have died of dysentery. <laughs> so they actually have a, a mobile game of it now, all 8-bit and everything, just oh. like the old one, but it's Oregon Trail and Zombies. Better. That sounds better. Yeah, it's... I play a little. This too one much is banana and you nuts, play, you and the play other one is salted like, caramel with pretzel. <laughs> you know what? This one's really good. Too. Why are you telling the microphone? Nobody cares. I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm just upset. I'm upset that this isn't a week you ago. Have some? No, thank you. It's super good. Dude, the chocolate bag the other night was a shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- yeah, that was my last, th- my last meal not on the wagon. Yeah, I am also on the wagon. Okay, good. So this, it wouldn't align with my goals right now. We'll give each other strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel bad. I'm like, help, Alex. That <laughs> we'll we'll share in the dysentery together. I guess. <laughs> You mean in the diabetes? Look, we've we've divided the room. You guys are on the other side and everything. It's, me <laughs> and cool. it's all right. 
It's, it's good. I have like <laughs> I have four more days of the wagon. Okay, well that's not bad. And then I am off. And there's going to be chips and queso and pillow? margaritas and probably some. You're going to have to hide your boner yeah. right now. That's pretty cool. How, sorry, how long have you been on the wagon? You said four days left, but how long have you been on? New Year's Eve. Oh, that's yeah, nice. that's pretty solid. Yep. Super solid. So, what is your uh, like? You're on a diet and you're behaving. What does that consist of for you? Uh, not drinking. Okay. Uh, which helped me quit smoking. Oh, congratulations! Thank that's you. That's a great combo. Um, it was the only way I was going to quit smoking was to quit drinking. Um, and just trying to fuel myself properly. I've been training for this half marathon that's coming up on Saturday. So getting enough nutrients in with my tiny gastric bypass stomach to fuel myself for a half marathon. So that's 13.1? Yes. Okay. Uh, what sort of runs are you doing right now to get ready for that? Uh, I'm running the runway. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, at five in the morning because... I don't want anyone to see my stupid run because I think I look really retarded when I'm really jamming to my music and I just kind of flail all over the place. Yeah, that, I think that's the point. Like, I love like that zone of like being super into the music and you're moving and you're proud, you're singing to, to it out loud or whatever. Mm-hmm. From anyone else's perspective, you look fucking ridiculous, right? So I, I lived with a friend who was uh, also very into fitness, and mm-hmm. he had a bike trainer set up in the living room. And I can remember when the song uh, Soldier Boy, fucking whatever the Soldier Boy Tell Him song was, mm-hmm. that song was like super, super popular. And I'm asleep. It's 6.30 in the morning, and he's out in the bike trainer in, in the living room singing Soldier Boy at the top of his lungs, but in his headphones, so I can't hear it. Mm-hmm. And that was like, oh, yeah, never do that. <laughs> like, never be that person in front of people <laughs> because, man, do you look ridiculous. Yep. But when you're the one doing it, oh, boy, it's fun. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, my my go-to recently has has been Britney Spears. Perfect. What's, oh, what's your song? Stronger. Okay. Because I am stronger than yesterday. Uh, um, what, what about <laughs> Katy Perry Firework? You fuck with that? Nope. <laughs> nope. Did enough of that. Um, or, like, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum then there's combi christ get your body beat and it's just like i am a machine of fitness <laughs> I, I love a uh, good diversity in my workout music too so i can appreciate that whatever keeps me going because sometimes you hit like that wall of mile three mile four and it's just like you know i could go home but goals Quit, Damn it. Quitting is the easiest thing. Yep. And hearing people who are experienced in endurance sports talk about hey the moment that you want to quit that's when your endurance training actually starts. Mm-hmm. Like if it's easy, you're not you're not you haven't hit endurance yet. It's yep. about hearing that voice and feeling that feeling that makes you want to quit and say, "Ah, eh, fuck it, this is stupid anyway. Mm-hmm. Why did I even start doing this?" Mm-hmm. I find that moment the first step out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so how how many miles are you running? Um, right now I am tapering down, okay. um, but my training plan was a, a four six eight. So every other day, four miles, six miles, or eight miles. Nice. How, how are you feeling about that thirteen? Oh, I'm I'm ready. Um, I did twelve last week. Oh, cool! Hell yeah! So I mean, I I didn't stretch properly today, so I'm feeling today with the four miles I did, but that's my fault for being in a hurry. I haven't stretched uh, for like six years. Well. No, I fucking hate it. My, I can't like you see my thumbs and my pinkies. I can't do three. I can't do this. Anything I do with my hands hurts all the way up into my shoulders. I need to stretch. Yep. I need to. This happens almost on my same like serious uh, diet cycle. Mm-hmm. Of I'll get super lean and I'll look good and I'm like, okay, yeah, fuck yeah, I did it. Now that this is over, I'm gonna focus on mobility and range of motion and lifting weights is is gonna be stupid now i'm gonna do this other thing so i can be more functional 
and then I just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I because I have a sedentary job, like not stretching after running eight miles, I would just be in way too much pain sure. to do anything. So yeah, if I don't, if I don't stretch and if I don't have like the reminder on my Apple Watch to get up every now and then because apparently I'm in the Sims. I'm just that's the type of human I am. <laughs> um then I'm just yeah. It then I don't want to go back because I'm so sore that running when you're sore is just the worst. So what's your goal with doing the half? Do you have a time in mind? Is it just to finish? Is it just just, just to finish. do it? Awesome. Cuz someone said I couldn't, so I'm going to do it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Yep. Is, and this is like a planned race in Houston, or you just have your own route? Uh, it's a planned race in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, that's right. Yep. So, Georgia, you have Get some... Get uh, down in Georgia. <laughs> that's the, here comes Justin Bieber again. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know that was a Justin Bieber song until you brought it up talking about how great Justin Bieber was earlier and how attractive you think he is. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't think. <laughs> have you seen those eyes? Dude, he's a good-looking kid. Whatever. Mm. You know, <laughs> do you know the song Yummy? Yes. Uh, I've heard it a Yum. thousand times. Is that that song? Sam breaks out in song dancing around the house. She knows all the dance moves. Oh, it, I didn't know there was dance moves. I just saw it from the TikTok because I watched like the food porn stuff. I don't know that it's, this it's connection. Just yeah, food. I guess I could see that being. Yeah. Yeah, yummy food. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense. That's a great. That's a yeah. no, I'm picturing girls grinding the screen. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah, no. the, dude, you should see the that yummy is, music. That is video. a niche porn. Yeah. But it's not yeah. on TikTok. It's not allowed. <laughs> what? What? There's nudity guidelines on TikTok? Yes. I'm going to break those. <laughs> <There's>, so, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Be more ridiculous. I was going to have a serious no, conversation. There's some really <laughs> weird guidelines on TikTok, but. Yeah, like if you're. Never mind. Never mind. We just had a really special moment there, though. You, I feel like you made direct eye contact with me as you're like, I'm going to break those. <laughs> like, okay, do you want my help? With I mean, you. Yeah, fine. dude, someone's got to run the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I'm going to incorporate way too much movement for a tripod to do the job. Again, I feel like there's a certain someone whose name I already mentioned. You should you should see if he wants to help you first because I know he's been, uh, he's had a thing for before. <laughs> helicopter, helicopter, go. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, wow. Brian. I know you're going to listen to but this. I'll be your number two. If he says no, <laughs> I'll run the camera. <laughs> uh, Georgia. Okay, you lived there before, right? Uh, I spent some time there in the van, I guess you could call it living No, we there. didn't even talk about van life. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what took you to Georgia? Um, it was... So Georgia was a Spaceland appeal. I By then I had moved into the van because the pandemic had started. My work had gone remote. I decided... Screw the sticks and bricks. I'm just going to wander because fuck winter and all the things. So was Spaceland Atlanta your first Spaceland experience? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I went there intentionally for the mentor program. Mm -hmm. I had about 35, 40 jumps. um, And I felt behind considering or looking at my peers at other drop zones who were at the same jump numbers as me. Can I smell that, DJ? (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, it's. Like a quarter of a cinnamon roll. Oh my god, it smells so good. When you walk into their place, it's this smell. I oh, feel like I'm so sad. If I eat oh half god. of that, will you eat the other half? No, Let's I will go. not take a single Off the wagon. Kate. Off the wagon. Kate, Kate is go. Satan. Kate is Satan. <laughs> Don't do it, man. You Come play, on. Just let me ask you a question. Have you ever fallen off the wagon together with somebody? Have you ever made a pact like that? Oh, we had fully, totally. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe not then. I was going to say there's a first time for everything, but you just... No, no, I've, uh, yeah, I've gone all, all in for... Months and months at a time to mm. end on the same day. I believe in you. 
Yeah, I have. I I knew for sure when I saw him walk in with that that I wouldn't <laughs> eat it. I knew that I would want I, to. I admire. But it's like you didn't see me fight him at all. It's very much an on or an off switch for me. Mm. Of like, it's either fucking on, and man, I'll give somebody a hand job to get one of those cinnamon rolls in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, yeah, I'm just not doing that right now, and there's really not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of time. I firmly cool. believe I can talk you into eating a cinnamon roll, but those are moments. Like when you said it, saw it this time, I'm like, yeah, this is not even a try. Uh-huh. Like there's times where you'll say no, and I'm like, mm, I can talk you into it right now. Yeah, and that's this like, is not one of them. That would have been any time over the last two months. <laughs> like I was on a real strict diet leading up to my birthday, and then after that, it was like, eh, fuck it. And then I, I don't know if I haven't stepped on a scale really. I don't know if I went up or down in weight, but uh, I know what my abs are supposed to look like. <laughs> but uh, and they're not supposed to look singular. <laughs> no, they're supposed to be very defined. I like it. It's the weirdest shit. I don't know why anyone cares about it. Mm-hmm. Like if someone just objectively, like, man, I feel a lot better at myself when I've got these bulges in the middle of my body. <laughs> it's like how fucking weird is that? But uh, yeah, I'm into it. But uh, yeah, I knew after. PIA, and then after the planned birthday or the planned uh, party that we had, and Sam's birthday, I knew that there was no hope of being on a diet and not being the asshole that inconveniences the entire group because mm. I'm on a diet. You know what it's like to be mm-hmm. vegan, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're the only vegan in a group of people, and people are like, "Hey, let's go eat here," and you're like, "Well, I can't do that." Yep. I don't want to ever be that person again. <laughs> yep. I I still sometimes feel that way being the person who doesn't drink. And so it's like, hey, we're going to go to this club or this like brewery. It's like, great, y'all have fun. But I really don't feel like sitting around watching y'all drink. I've never minded that. Yeah. Like, I don't mind. Do I? I sure didn't when I was younger. I never minded being the person who was sober around all the silly drunk folks. Mm-hmm. I think maybe now, like being around people my age who are drinking doesn't bother me at all. I suppose you asked me to be around a bunch of drunk 20-year-olds. <laughs> I'd probably be less psyched. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't mind. So Alex drunk is a no. <laughs> I'd take it. Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. All right. I mean, I feel like it. you'd be I, funny. I think uh, I would thanks. put up with yeah, anybody. I'd open up a lot more. Anybody who's a friend, like I could stomach that in any state that they were in because mm-hmm. it either goes from entertainment or oh shit now i gotta take care of this person i'm mm-hmm. actually concerned for their well-being mm-hmm. i can be there for either one of those but if it's just like a party filled with uh people i don't know who are young and there's no good conversation left to be had anywhere mm-hmm. yeah i don't think i want to do that yeah mm-hmm. but as a kid yeah that was fine that was fun for me i was just the sober one i don't mind being around silly drunks but People get too drunk, too. Like, that line crosses and blurs very quickly to where I'm just annoyed. Mm -hmm. And I'm not annoyed to a point that it's a problem. I'm annoyed to a point where I'm like, "Mm, time for me to go home. Yep. So I generally don't hang out because I just don't like being around people who are drunk. Um, And I mean, like, drunk, drunk. Mm -hmm. Like, smashed. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, yeah. I don't know. But I I Why wouldn't you go home? Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Fuck you, Hugh. Man, I've been we've been in constant touch uh, for work stuff, and man, it's just it's still good to see him doing well. Had a friend show up on the show, hmm. showed up drunk as fuck. All right, the show's heard this several times, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, we he embarrassed the shit out of himself uh, enough that he hadn't talked to me for the most part in a while because he was so embarrassed. Oh, um, he's doing phenomenal now, so yeah. so really good dude. Um, where were we at? Uh, we were Justin talking Bieber. about Spaceland, Atlanta, Atlanta. and uh, the mentor program, yeah. 35 yeah. Jumps. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I 
I don't. I didn't feel like a good skydiver. I didn't feel like I was safe to jump with others, even because by then I'd been to six drop zones, so I was starting over, learning new things, new rental Th- gear. Th- Thirty-five jumps, six yep. drop zones. Yep. Can you recall all six of those drop zones? Uh, NorCal, Delmarva, Cross Keys, Philadelphia, Sky's the Limit, and Paraclete. Hmm. And, and which of those was your, were your favorite jumps when you're uh, having this adventure to Spaceland? Um, I mean, NorCal was great. That was my first tandem and my first solo. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the views, man, the views of the Pacific and what part of California other than northern? Is it? <laughs> it's uh, it's near Santa Rosa. Okay. Um, and so being being in the Sonoma County area is always gorgeous, but it was also super fun because that's when my dad did his first tandem. So being in the plane with my dad as he did his first skydive, just like just in the same way that I had done my first skydive was cool. Um, and then Paraclete was just awesome because there was so much learning and there was so much patience and grace there. Um but then, yeah, showed up to Space on Atlanta with 35 jumps, feeling really behind. So I was like, you know what? Free coaching. I'll take it because I'm fucking poor and I want to not kill my friends when I jump with them. So rolled in there in my little van and was welcomed immediately, which was fantastic. Um, and given opportunity to learn, I decided to downsize and was encouraged to take a few steps back and learn a bit more about the 170 I was flying, even... You know, tiny human, big parachute, you think you'll be fine. It's just 20 square feet. was no big deal. But I did have a little bit more to learn on the 170 and then did end up downsizing to the 150 while they're taking a canopy course, getting humbled, uh, landing in the pond. Hell yeah. <laughs> the, the swoop pond or the fish pond? The fish pond. Oh, that's worse. <laughs> I have to think where the fish pond is. It's, it's tucked up pond. right right against the trees. You yep. you walk out of the hangar at the hangar door front door. You look to your left. The pond's right here. Yep. Yep. Which what direction were you? Did you 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 went? I, I was headed towards the parking lot. Okay. Yeah. Poor decisions. Great. Poor decisions. But I learned. I was humbled by the pond. Um, At least you weren't drowned by the pond. Yeah, I thought I did though, and then everyone's just like, "Stand up!" I'm like, oh, okay, it's fine. Uh, that'd be me. I'm so bad in water. <laughs> I'd I'd drown for sure. Yes. Um, and uh, did a few jumps over at the farm. Some of the days that uh, Spaceland was closed, ended up landing in the wrong drop zone. The first <clears throat> jump at the farm because I went back to Spaceland because that's the landing area I knew. You landed at Spaceland after? Oh, that's, yeah. that's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're looking for your landmarks, right? Yep. Went went to the place that I had already done like 30 jumps over three weeks. So and was Spaceland <laughs> open so or closed? They were you- closed. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's so fucking funny. I'm that's, so sorry, but it's hilarious. Who, uh, who discovered you on that property? Kevin. Okay, great. Yeah, we had just gotten back from the store and was like, and I run up and he's <laughs> like, "What? Like, why are you geared up? Why is your shit out? What is going? Like, the hangers closed and lock up and everything." And I was like, "We're at the farm." And I landed in the wrong drop zone. Don't have my phone. Can you just take me? <laughs> like thinking everyone is panicked and losing their shit. No, they knew exactly what I did. They didn't even send anyone. They were like, she'll figure it out. She'll get over. Perfect. <laughs> World class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she'll be okay. Yeah. What if she got hurt? <laughs> so that's, that's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've heard of that happening until now. <laughs> that's wonderful. 
Uh, the lay, the onion gets entertaining. <laughs> you went to the farm and what happened? Where did you go to next? Um, after Georgia, I headed down to um, Alabama. It, weather and things and the vibe didn't quite work out. But there. We're, we're living in the van at this point, right? Yeah, still living in the oh, van. Yeah, van life. Uh, went down to Florida, spent some time in Florida. My first visit there. I visited Florida four times before I actually jumped there, thanks to weather injuries. Et what cetera. disease in Florida? Um, Sebastian, uh, Deland, Central Florida, and another tiny little uh, Lake Wales. Yep, they got gators in their pond too. <laughs> they do. They're just trying to be cool like us. Uh, yeah. I only ended up jumping at Deland though after visiting multiple other drop zones. Have you jumped at Deland, Nick? Yeah, but it's been a while. I think 2012. I've been there like several times and never jumped there. But I've regularly been there for business or like other things going on with plans, goals, schedules. So I've just never jumped into land. Um, how was it? Um, by the time I had hit Deland, it was uh, later in the van life and it was fantastic. By then, my little sis was there. So being able to jump with her early in her progression and provide some basic coaching was fantastic because Dylan didn't have the mentor program and she was all excited jumping with her boyfriend, doing that thing. And they were, they were doing great, but it's nice to learn from another little girl when you are a little girl, how to fly your body a different way than the big dudes that are teaching you. Yeah. I, I think people uh, get stuck on teaching how they do it mm -hmm. and how I do it. Definitely isn't going to work for everybody. As yep. a matter of fact, you'll probably make it look better than I do. So. <laughs> It's interesting. Um, you said coaching your little sis. Were you actually a coach at that point or were you just coaching? Yes, I was a coach at that point when I finally jumped at Deland. But um, leaving oh. Atlanta, wasn't a coach. Went to Sebastian, hung out there for a while um, and Lake Wales and then went over through Mississippi and um, Louisiana and just kind of did some state park, national park vibes, uh, took a little bit of a break and then came over into Texas um, and went straight to Lone Star and partied my ass off because that was the goal at the moment. I thought, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Let's just <laughs> make it happen. So we partied Wednesday through Sunday and recovered from our hangovers Monday and Tuesday. So it seems like so far in your life, I'm not here for a long time is pretty much a theme. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, how long did you do that at Lone Star? Uh Gosh, two, three months. Okay. I never stayed longer than three months at any place. Everywhere was temporary. Getting attached was not going to happen. Um, and it was just when it served me best. Um, I learned to pack a bit by then. So could I make some money on the side? Did I have good connections or internet? Was there a good party? Was there good drugs? Um, and if it didn't quite meet what I wanted, then I just rolled on and did my thing. It... um. I, I want to come back to that statement. Sorry, I'm ignorant to this this question. Is Lone Star open right now? No. Okay. I know they had closed down for different reasons uh, multiple times in their existence. And, and I thought the last time was more permanent. Yes. Um, we'll see what happens from there. Um, after Lone Star, was Lone Star still open when you came to Spaceland? Did you come to Spaceland next? Yes. Okay. And Lone Star was still open? Yes. So why go from Lone Star to Spaceland? Because um, I wanted to get my coach rating to make money skydiving. And at that point, you had 120 jumps. Yep. See, man, I remembered something. Mm -hmm. um, and you said when you got here, you were humbled by mm -hmm. so many different things. 
Uh, did you decide to go ahead and get your coach rating right away or did, uh, did you wait? So I received my rating. I was able to successfully get that. I didn't use it for a year. Um, I, uh, okay, I take that back. The next drop zone I went to after Houston, I used it twice to just float or uh, fly with a very floaty student because they essentially begged me. Um, and then after that, I realized like, I'm not ready. I can't be coaching anyone on shit. Like I barely got my own stuff kind of down. I can fly stable. That's it. I can land. Okay. That's it. Who am I to teach? So what do you think, uh, um, of somebody with a hundred jumps having a coach rating? I think it is a great starting point. I think you learn a lot in a coach course. Um, but if you don't come into it the with the mindset of, I already have so much to learn, then you aren't going to get anything from it and you, you might not succeed as a coach. Regularly, the conversation comes up that there should be more, uh, a higher requirement for the coach rating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how everybody in this room feels about that, but I'm curious about you first. I I agree. There should be, I think it should be around like the 250 range, something like that. But with moving it up, there should perhaps be another continued ed opportunity that's universal on drop zones beyond the co-trading. Nick, where are you at on it? Man, I was really good with 100 jumps. I could backslide, uh, sit flying. <laughs> I could sink out on belly jumps. I could uh, not understand the landing pattern and not land accurately. Dude, I was doing all of the cool stuff. You got me, man. You got me. <laughs> I was like, what? No, I was fucking terrible. I was a terrible new skydiver. That I, there was very little structure. There was no guidance on. Uh, I mean, I I love the drop zone where I started. It's still when I think of skydiving at home and the people there. I still love everything about it. I'm really grateful for the connections that I made there and the people that I met. Uh, if there was a different set of people there on the day that I made my first jump, I don't think I would be sitting here doing this right now. My life would look very different. And so I love that place, but. Uh, you know, I've seen what having such a better uh, infrastructure and uh, program and planning and uh, advice and coaching and all, all of that just makes such better skydivers that uh, when I use that as my comparison, yeah, I was a terrible fucking skydiver. Do you, so, <clears throat> I, but I, the, you were asking about a number. I do think that 200 is uh, probably where I would start as the bare minimum if you were asking me to make up the rules right now. And where do you sit on this, Alex? Yeah, I think um, both Kate and Nick have already made some pretty good points, and I basically agree with all of it. Um, Judging from my own personal experience and looking back on my perspective as someone with 100 jumps or so, it's so limited. Um, And in going with Nick's theme, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. (laughs) And it's it's tough to assign numbers to something like that, but I do believe that like 200, 250 is a a good enough number to kind of get that ball rolling and to open up that perspective a little bit more. Um, I, I still think some people can be effective at a hundred jumps, but uh, I think 200 is a better number for sure. I full on fat kid thought that was a bag of marshmallows for a second. <laughs> it, I, I would, it did. It looked like it. You caught me off guard. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I was just, like, what are you doing? It's just one giant glob of mozzarella. <laughs> yeah, you talk about Sark. Or you talk about uh, would, would you like some cheese? <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Alex, can I interest you? Uh, sure. Fuck yeah. That. But dude, you caught me off guard. I was like trying to be halfway articulate. And then I, we were just talking about the wagon. And you pull out marshmallows. I'm like, what are you doing? man? So. I think a lot of people said and done get shocked to hear my values and opinions of it. And I think it's just stay at a hundred. Yeah. Um, but 
my belief is based off current circumstances. Mm-hmm. I believe it should stay at 100 in part because at 182 drop zones, somebody with 100 jumps is a lot more valuable mm-hmm. or a lot more accessible than you get to the people with 200 jumps. It's going to be really hard for that backbone of the industry, this 182 uh, part of it, which is really becoming a smaller and smaller portion. It used to be the largest portion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they really need it. Um, I also <clears throat> see people... Add 100 jumps who I firmly believe are ready for it. I also believe the vast majority of people in 100 jumps are not ready for it. So um, I, I, I struggle with making it inaccessible to those unicorns. Mm-hmm. And as long as the system is maintained, run, and, and, and done right, um, that meaning coaches are properly prepared for the course, coaches go through the course and are properly evaluated, and trained in their course, and then they go out with what you said, a starting point, a starting guideline, and they work under that supervision. Like, yo, Nick, you should probably not be flying with her right now. It's outside your wheelhouse. You should be honing your skills on somebody closer to your skill set. With all of those caveats, I think a much lower number of people with 100 jumps would successfully get through a coach course. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe in those in a large part because uh, uh, the need for some of those lower jump number people um uspa is a voluntary organization we do not have to be uspa members Mm -hmm. if we raised it to 200 the chances of some dz's becoming non-group members become real if dz's are non-group members then skydivers won't be members because which one of us signs up for uspa just for the funds of it Mm -hmm. most of us do it at the beginning because the drop zone tells us we have to yep um so really it becomes an issue now if USPA was a required by the FAA uh, NAC or National Aero Club, if it, if it was a required entity, then I'd say put it to 200 because there's not a big fight to have to deal with. Um, but I, th- there's a lot of USPA standards that I wish were higher. But yeah. man, if USPA really did the things that some people think they should do and did it as quickly as some people say USPA should do it, we'd all no longer be members. And then where's USPA? And then the FAA governs us. Yeah. And who wants the FAA to govern us? Nope. Get fucked. Um, I love you, FAA. You're you're wonderful people. <laughs> Stupid. Or maybe there were if there were like levels to coach. So something like the Spaceland Coach Mentor Program is a great stepping stone. Where I know I'm not jumping with a student. They have proven at least twenty five times that they can pull the parachute to save their own life and not kill themselves. Uh, different countries have levels C1, C2, different mm-hmm. uh, versions of coaches. Um, and a lot of people argue, I'm not against this, I'm, I'm presenting the other side. I like what you're saying. Uh, a lot of people argue, well, the, 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 the more hierarchy and the more leveling you put to it, the more complex it is, the more it is to support the blah, 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 blah. But yo, man, uh, I think Australia, I think Canada, and I think there are some other countries, but those two you'll regularly hear me talk about, they have a strong system overall. And, you know, it's Nick deals with a lot of foreign jumpers. And I say foreign jumpers as a manager. You see people come from all over the United States and other countries. And my guess is, is if you meet somebody who is trained properly in Canada or Australia, your guard is not that high. Everybody's got idiots. Yeah. Jacko. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, that, right. I, I think positively of Canadian and Australian skydivers, uh, I think because we've seen people like, Chaco, and because we've had uh, other great Canadian friends, Scott Rumble's the first person that comes to mind right hey. now. Um, Brooke, oh, Brooke man. Dawson, yeah, Dawson. Yeah, Dawson. Um, just really great, really friendly people who uh, aren't the worst skydivers that I've known. Mel so. was an absolute shredder. Oh yeah, totally. Who's Mel? Uh, Porter, the Australian. 
When oh, she- Australian. I was like, I was thinking, I was stuck in a Canadian. Yeah. I'm like, she's not Canadianish. I'm Mel there. Gibson. Oh my God. Braveheart. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, just to just to agree with Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. Uh, 182 drop zones. I have not had a lot of experience at, and I do think that it's a really good point. And I'll just kind of expand. Jump numbers, for me, it's always been a hard thing to hold someone accountable at just a number. Like, I wish that there was more of a structured uh, progression where you're kind of putting a check mark in a box for a skill set. And that, hey, before you're allowed to do the coach rating, you need to do X, Y, and Z first. And um, <laughs> I wish there was a way that we could make people's friends not sign off on stuff that they didn't do. Not saying that I haven't had friends do the same thing. I think it's a problem in skydiving. But, uh, you know, uh, Ben Roan, I saw him on his 100th jump out face carving on his head around two different rounds on like a 16-way jump. <laughs> And because uh, the ninja, then there, yeah, because he had a thousand. Oh man, that might, that might even be a, a drastic, uh, a, a drastic underestimation of how many hours he had in the tunnel at, at this time. Do you want more of this cheese? You're, 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 I see you seeing it. I just noticed it. Though. Eat more <laughs> no, of this I'm cheese. Go, I'm a minute. I'm right now. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I will. Um, <laughs> and then there are some people that are just the natural flyer, like uh, someone like Blair Smith, for example. Someone that just. Like kind of gets it because of their athletic background, or they're just a, uh, you know, like Nick Reyes was. God bless him, was just another person that he may just learn fast. Nick Reyes was too dumb to not realize he couldn't be good. Yeah, but it served him. <laughs> I love no, Nick. He, he, he was his progression was very much. I'm a rebellious kid, and I'm not going to listen to you tell me that I can't do that. And I think he had just the right balance of skill and luck that he uh, came through on the other side as a pretty talented skydiver, and I think that that's awesome. And the time that it takes to get 100 jumps at a 182 drop zone may have a big influence about the experience that you actually have when you get to that point. So I will accept uh, I'll accept that as an, as an answer, and I think you've got pretty good reasoning behind yeah. it. I'm just, I guess I'm just speaking in generalities, and because we are so spoiled about the quality of instructors that we have and the quality of the program that they uh, all are teaching to the students, that I'm just, I'm just fortunate enough to be a bit of an elitist on the on the subject i'm also a personal advocate of of what you've all said 200 jumps you're going to be way more prepared Mm -hmm. um i've said this line too many times in my life if you go into something with a minimum requirements you're going to take minimum away from it Mm -hmm. have more requirements have more experience the more experience you have the more you are likely to take away from it um, I watch people go through any course type, AFF course, coach course, whatever, with exceptional flying skills that won't barely pass it. They just have zero problems and zero struggles with. And because they are confident in that flying ability and not just confident, they know they have a good skill set that they can fly with. And they might be challenged, but they know they can meet and rise. Then suddenly they can relax and enjoy more from it. If they practically do the training sessions to get your ratings, you have to have assisted in this many things. Yo, if you truly... Like if, if the book says you have to assist in training a category C student, whatever the fuck that means, I don't want somebody to do that once. You have to you have to assist training a category C student. I recommend you observe it once from one instructor. The second time, you help that instructor in any way, shape, or form that they want you to help. Then do it a third time to an evaluation standard where that instructor is really critiquing saying, hey man, you have good enough of a grasp on what you're doing teaching style 
or knowledge base that when you go into the course, the other side of that gap is going to get filled. Um, so when people come in with that more experience, man, they, they just take, they take so much away. So going with a minimum, I'm, you know, I'm glad people do, and I'm glad it's accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad people like you recognize what you did and said, well, I want to make myself better before I try to help others. Yep. So I think that's a really good point. I had never thought of it that way of, uh, I guess the similarity that came to my mind as you were talking about it is lots of people have approached me with the I want to be a skydiving videographer conversation Mm -hmm. and they (laughs) this is so weird you just grab between my legs right now and uh, salty balls you know they think that their only opportunity to get better as a videographer is jumping with a camera Mm -hmm. it's like man you can put that camera helmet on and walk around and work on your framing all day long you can work on all (laughs) sorts of stuff without having to be in the sky so that hey when you're trying to develop this skill set you're not doing it all at once that you're already familiar with the cameras at least. And that sounds like a really good comparison to, Hey, if your, your goal is to teach people skydiving, well, Hey, at least learn the material and and learn the teaching methods. And now the, you've just left the flying part is the the part where you need the most work. So we fast back forward to Kate and I want to say you, no, I'm I'm digging with you, man, but I want to say you now feel comfortable with your ability to coach people. Yes. And I say that because, did you approach Valerie and I, or did one of us approach you about mentoring? I approached Val. Okay. Yep. Um, but by then, I was about at 260 skydives. Okay. Um, so I'd taken some time to go to a few other drop zones, um, fly with other people that I respected as humans and skydivers, um, get some paid coaching myself. I had that privilege where I could fit that into my budget. Um, and also just the... What I have learned from the most other than the actual literal flying itself is sitting around and listening to the theory around the campfire, around the the tables and talking in between calls with people and the little things and tidbits of knowledge that you pick up. Um, so as I just compiled that all together and figured out what worked with me and that's when I started to feel ready that I could actually bring value and contribute to coaching. I feel like I did a jump with you not long after you had your coach rating. Um, it it had been at least a season. I want to say like a winter season or summer season, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by then I'd been humbled by my rough and tumble accident in Utah. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of different things that happened then. But it was it was right around the time where I was considering approaching as well. And you and I mm-hmm. did our jump with Angel. Angel. That's who the third person was. Yep. Okay, great. It was a dear diary moment for me. Okay. Like- I, I still remember the jump. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there I've done plenty of jumps with plenty of people that I don't remember having jumped with someone until I'm going through GoPro footage however many months later. And I go, oh, yeah, that jump did happen. I, did, I have jumped with this person. But I remember really clearly our jump because the sky was really beautiful for mm-hmm. one. And I remember how proud I was of you about how you did on the jump. That, uh, you know, you form expectations about how you think people will do based on, you know, what you've seen from them so far. Mm-hmm. And it was really great to uh, see you do an awesome job. Mm-hmm. Another Dear Diary moment. I love it. I'm just going to put it in my Polly Pocket Diary. What do you remember about the jump? Um, I remember it was sunset. Mm -hmm, Yep. Um, I remember being nervous because you hopped on at like the 10-minute call. Sounds like a move I would make. Um, And I remember insisting on having the hero slot or the last person to the group because it was something I wanted to work on. Um, And Angel was just stoked to jump. I think at that point he was at like 50 or 60 jumps and just wanted to 
go on a rip. Um, yeah. And then I remember it being a great jump, me taking a second to dock because I didn't feel quite level. Um, and then you mentioning something afterwards and just like, oh my gosh, the DZ dad is proud of me. Oh God. That terrifies <laughs> me that anyone thinks of me that, that way. voice, that accent. Uh, I loved it. Well, that's cool. I, rem- I, uh, I remember being real proud. So yeah, good job. Well, I mean, you are DZ dad. If it's you weird. think about it. Yeah, I like, don't like it. Don't make me think about it. I call you daddy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's different. I'm, daddy. I'm usually pulling your hair of the wig that I made you wear when it happened. When it's happening. <laughs> No, and I try like what, nobody wants you to be mad at them, and I don't want to be mad at anybody either. I don't want. I don't like that exactly. But there's so much weight on if you look at when you look at someone and say, "I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed." <laughs> you know what I've tried to do, and I've even started a number of conversations this way: of Hey, do you want to be in the principal's office or the counselor's office? Because the, the principal's office, you're in trouble, right? Yep. The counselor just wants to help you. Mm-hmm. And so I try and approach every conversation like I'm the counselor. And if I think about it from that perspective, I usually do a better job of uh, <laughs> handling the conversation and my own emotions. Oh yeah. My God. But I, I hate I hate that I can't just walk out into the landing area anymore without like whoever I'm closest to, like looking over their shoulder of, oh, fuck, he's not coming for me, is he? <laughs> it's like, man, I hate that feeling. Like, I just want to I just I just want to hang out and be a skydiver with everybody else. Yeah. No. I used to have that feeling, and now it feels good. I walk out in the land area, nobody knows who the fuck I am. <laughs> Perfect, dude. It's so funny to hear Nick called the DZ dad and all these things, because I know it's true, but that's not the asshole I know. That's not the dipshit that I skydive. If you think about the other side of dad, though, it's like, you want him to be proud of you. Like, you want to do good things. I want him to spank me. <laughs> Daddy. Again? Yeah, uh, but like, so Steve and Boyd and you I used were... our safe word last time. Pineapple, uh-huh. pineapple. <laughs> no, it's pudding sticks. <laughs> pudding uh, sticks? It sounds like pudding dicks, but oh. you know. It's hard uh, to say with that ball gag in. Steve and Boyd and I were hanging out and just looking over the balcony railing at the DZ, and we were just talking, just general talking. And some people looked up at us a couple different times and we started laughing and joking with ourselves. Like, man, remember when your dad would stand up here and everybody looks up here thinking like, oh, that guy, man, they just have no clue what kind of dipshits we really are and the (laughs) stupid shit we've really done. You know, it's uh, uh, Steven and and I've had some really fun skydives together. The rules and policies of Spaceland were not what 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 they once were. Um, so you're the reason for some of the rules. That's what you're um, saying. No, because DJ they, doesn't like rules. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've swooped the beer fence, and when I say swoop the beer fence, I like this is the fence, and this is a swoop. We that was a thing at some point in our lives. Mm. Um, there was a day nobody was on the DZ except for uh, Stephen's girlfriend on the ground. There was Stephen, Valerie, myself, my student, and the pilot. And so we swooped inside the fence in the beer line. Mm. So the other end, uh, the east end, was not there. So it was just an opening, so you could just whoosh, straight through there. Um, yeah, the stupid shit we've done. I mean, we we are the reason the rules exist, and it's not because we ever got in trouble. It's because we watch enough of our friends get hurt doing stupid things with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as importantly, we watch people try to emulate the things that we've been the people who've tried to emulate things that other people have done and we couldn't do. So it's just like, man, I I, I really, really, really want to do a big fat turn over the main landing area. 
the delicense area and then plane out like 90 degrees off the wind line and then just roll 90 degrees. You, you, you want to do this too. I can see it in your eyes. Just a big, fat, juicy carve in the main landing area. But there's good reasons we don't allow it. I'm a full supporter of that. And I'll land into the wind without carving and a 90-degree turn. Um, I used to promote and push for the 90-degree turn limit at Spaceland, and I also hated it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm mad at me. So congratulations, me. No, that's a that's a hard thing I think for some people to grasp until they're in the situ they're in there they're into the position where making rules or enforcing uh, or even just influencing change has become your your responsibility. And yeah, I, I wasn't in a leadership role when they changed that rule from 270s to 90s, but I fully get it and I agree with it. And I think that, hey, if if your biggest complaint about doing a, uh, I don't know why you're touching me so much tonight, if you're watching or you're getting, you're liking it. Um, if the, the biggest complaint of, oh man, I have to walk an, an extra couple hundred feet if I want to do a big turn and I got to cross the runway and I might even have to drag my foot on top of a 500 foot long pond. It's like, hey, we're pretty spoiled to have that that accessible. And if that's the trade off for trying to make the landings for everybody else uh, safer, yeah, I think it's worth it. Man, I had another point that I was going to bring up, but I forgot because he touched me and it got sexual again. <laughs> I don't know, man. I so Do you want this last piece of cheese? The I do not. Okay. I know it's real. I can feel it all the way over here. Uh, that's not me, then, because it just doesn't reach that far. <laughs> oh, they're, they're just inching closer ever uh, so slowly. Only two inches. I was going to say, as you were talking about the bad things that you and Steven did, just in defense, almost every time that I approach someone to have a conversation about a thing they did wrong, I have done that thing. At some point in my skydiving <laughs> career, I've done that thing, too. And I think the difference between... Uh, where I was when I got away with it and where people are now is some people didn't know that it was a thing to not do, didn't understand the reason behind it because the um, you know issue hadn't happened en- enough times to be well known. And that uh, I don't think the people that had the experience were telling me that I shouldn't do those things. Mm-hmm. Like no one was telling me at 15 jumps that I shouldn't be free flying mm-hmm. and no one certainly put it in a way that uh you know i've spent a lot of time and thought about how to articulate that conversation so i don't sound like an asshole and so it's actually helpful for the person who's who's uh rushing into it but uh i think we're so good at uh noticing and correcting the mistakes of others because we've made most of them oh dude i yeah i have i've done fucked up enough i've done fucked up what was his name aaron thank you you know what yeah um Dude, so you decided, hey, I'm ready to try to mentor. I'm ready to start mentoring. Mm-hmm. What was the epiphany? What what happened to make you realize that it was your time? Um, I mean, it had it had been a long, long goal because the mentor program helped me stay in skydiving. So I wanted to Perfect. give back to it. It was really important for me to continue the legacy or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it was the continued encouragement from jumps like that with Nick, um, and a few other people that I really respect and value. 
garbage. Um, and then <laughs> he's not saying garbage to your conversation right yeah. now, just for anyone who's listening that's and thinks he's an asshole. I was thinking about that too. Thanks <laughs> yeah, for saying that. Just, I'm like, oh, I just pulled out some, some bad on audio. Some beef jerky. Tell me was, how you really feel. Yeah, fucking garbage. <laughs> it even sounds like you went in later and like listened to it and voiced it over. <laughs> What's this piece of shit conversation? <laughs> fucking garbage. <laughs> Bullshit. You wanted the free jumps, didn't you? That was DJ refusing my beef jerky, which is odd because he's always wanting my meat in his mouth. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Your beef jerky is garbage. So, <laughs> Actually, my beef jerky is top-notch from what people have told me, but that's just what I call a handy. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beef jerky. <laughs> I was about to ask you for some beef jerky, but now I'm kind of like... I really like your wife, and I don't think you're open, so we're just going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's this not happening. <laughs> yeah. I no, your beef jerky is garbage. Here, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, oh, no, see, all this talk about hand jobs making them hungry. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think you and John Barry are like real close in sound and quality of that of that noise that you're making. Thank you. Yeah, you two should hang out and just. I, I don't know who that is. Mm, he. Uh, John Barry was the first person I ever jumped with at Skydive Space Jam. Really? I and I landed off right after that. It was awesome. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, I got beef jerky in my mouth. Yeah, uh, John Barry was a tandem instructor that I chased on my very first jump at Skydive Space Land. Last out of an otter. Really cloudy day. Probably shouldn't have been flying. Opened up in a place where I couldn't see the drop zone. And uh, the neighborhood to the west... Wow. That if you only see the houses, uh-huh. looks a lot like the neighborhood, like this, the neighborhood in the southwest, mm-hmm. across from the gas station back there. The shape of it looks real similar to the neighborhood that's right to the east of the drop zone. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought I was seeing, because it was my first jump actually seeing any of it with my eyeballs and not on the map. Nope, different houses. Yeah, Landed at the church. It was awesome. <laughs> Take Al- me to church. Also landed off on my first jump on the first Saturday that I was there. You're consistent. <sighs> Fucking super good at sucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you've now qualified that you're ready to, to give back. The uh-huh. mentor program has kept you in the sport. Uh-huh. Um, and by the way, I have to tell you, hearing that means the world to, to me, means the world to Spaceland. Um, the mentor program is something I poked at Spaceland. So whenever I suggested to Steve, Steven, or the Voyager Spaceland any changes ever in my life, I'd present the information once. They would refute or talk about it. I would give my answers to their questions. And they always, they, they would question more out of question than anything else. And then they would make whatever statement or decision they made, and I would just leave it the fuck alone. I'm not going to argue with them over it. Like, this is just something I think we should do. Um, and over years, they'll either agree or they won't. It's it's their business, and they're welcome to do with it as they please. I mean, straight up, uh, always will be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, they started the mentor program, and the goal has always been to keep people skydiving, keep people in the sport. Um, you know, I, I love hearing the beginning of your skydiving journey, the community, and the way you, you know the, the motions mm-hmm. you gave, the way you embraced yourself. The look you gave on your face, you are, you kind of slouch and melted into the chair. That's the shit that this is about. And to me, 
Yeah, the free jumps are a bonus. Let's be yeah. real. If you don't think free jumps are a bonus, well, congratulations. Good for you. You have a lot of money. Yeah, and you work out of the kindness of your heart. Too. Yeah. Like, yeah, great. No, absolutely the kindness of your heart is part of it in your case, not mm-hmm. in everybody's. Mm-hmm. And straight up, the mentors who do it just for the free jumps, in some cases, I accept that. As long as you do a quality job, said and done, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. You don't have to have the same motivation I do. You don't. But man, to hear mentors like yourself, uh, I think it's Dave McRae, is that, mm-hmm. am, I, am I right there? Mm-hmm. Um, his passion and his current desire to do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested, you know, that's one of my favorite parts is is to see those people who are trying to be part of and give back and they're open to development. And, and you were open from the beginning. Dave has been talking with Valerie and I lately and he's very open to to learning and criticism and he realizes he's got a lot to learn and he sees this as an opportunity to move forward with more learning like you, yeah. you like you said earlier it's the beginning yeah. so someone like dave like you you see them at a precipice of something where they're going to really grow into and make a large pivotal moment in either their skydiving career or their life as a whole and when you're getting someone newly licensed as well they're at a pivotal moment where they kind of figure out okay like what disciplines are vibing with me what people are vibing with me um you know the choices that they're making but also you know drilling into them like hell yeah if you want to be an angle shredder or do the head down like craziness absolutely but let's build back from there and we'll get you on that path. I'll introduce you to the sick free flyers, the angle crazy people, or you want to do the big way belly stuff? Let's get you a booty suit. Like, um, So being able to guide into that, like my mentors and even the people who I met here when I decided to stay here for a while did with me. And, and ultimately, the final straw with me becoming a mentor was the encouragement slash incessant nagging of Kevin. Kevin Craig. Yep. God bless you, you bald fuck. <laughs> Man, we're just about to get him back in uh, jump I can't staff. wait to see mm. him in Super the air. Excited. He yep. belongs in the air. Yep. Yep. And man, is he excited too. Like, don't get me wrong. He loved hanging out with y'all in the office, but he's ready to get his he, He's such a great dude. I love him. <laughs> yep. he's, he's a peacock. He has to fly. He's the best brother <laughs> I could have chosen. He's what I consider my older brother and one of my best friends. And he hounded me for months, months to talk to you and Val to get signed up to get it going and you know it was a constant like I'm just not ready yet like I'll wait till my 200th jump and then 250 and I just want to do a few more days with Jimmy or maybe with Stig and get this out of the way and and then finally there was no more excuses and he's like so tell me what's really going on and like I I don't know am I good enough to be a coach he's like I saw you jumping with your friends and pestering them to check their handles because you want your friends to be safe and have a good time. And I know you're going to do that just with your students as well if you're going to hold your friends to that standard. Your skill set is not nearly as important as your mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, Valerie, and you've done the orientation with Valerie, talks, uh, use the word soft skills a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, the hard skills we're looking for the most is safety-mindedness and safety skills. Uh, The thing we're looking for the most after that is your soft skills, your ability to work well with people, to deal with controversy, to deal with adversity because... These jumpers are going to have issues and they're going to suck. And you're going to sit there and go, why the fuck did you land crosswind, motherfucker? I'm your mentor. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, I don't know if any mentors ever got in trouble for having their student land crosswind. Mm-hmm. But I've seen somebody yell that way for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's that soft skill. And you bring, I think, both of those to the table. And the third thing we're actually looking for is actual skill. Um, I would love to put that number one. 
I would, but safety is is third, so it has to be first. Yep. So it, it's uh, it's good to see. Um, I hope other people. Nicole Craig is a good example mm-hmm. of somebody who joined the program late, and I all by all means get it uh, with much respect and love to Nicole Craig. She uh, struggled a lot in her early career, so she wasn't ready at those early jump numbers. Um, I think she was ready earlier than she realized it, but she definitely needed to wait, and she did a good job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to back to it, have the best skill set to transfer good safety-minded stuff. If you're a new jumper out there and you're talking with your friends, don't be ashamed to check your handles. Don't be ashamed to tell people to check your handles. I have had a friend give me a pin check and they find my reserve partway, my reserve pin partway pushed out because somebody was pushing me against something. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it happened, that's uh, frankly when I didn't ask for a random gear check. I'm like, yo, Nick, could you uh, check my pins? Um, it was a buddy of mine and I won't say names because they'll all be given away. Um, it was no Boyd's. To, to clarify, because the story <laughs> will get quick and easy. But it was a buddy, I'm like, yo, yo, bro, will you uh, check my gear? Because he saw his dad pushing me around against a fuselage. And he's like, yeah, no, no I'll, I'll check your pins. And my reserve pin was pushed partway out by his dad. And he's like, mm. and it was fun to, to watch his little smirk on his face, like frustration with his dad, but he knows he can't say anything because his dad's been doing it a long time. Mm-hmm. See why I said it wasn't Boyd's? <laughs> said, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I was like, man, I really need to qualify that because that <laughs> means I've been here for fucking 17 and a half years. Jesus Christ. I've been here a long time. Yeah. Very soon, there will be people skydiving on Spaceland who I've been skydiving on Spaceland longer than they've been alive. I don't like it. You don't like it? No. It's just, I don't like feeling old. Oh, man. it's There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Why don't you like feeling old? I don't know. There's nothing wrong. I mean, it's, man, I'm, I'm 49. It's, I'll be 50 this year. And that, like, that's real. It's like. I'm gonna be 50 this year. And fuck yeah, man. I made it to 50, motherfucker. Let's go. <laughs> I'm impressed I'm here and I still have most of my body parts still with me. All right. Missing some teeth. Um, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so how long have you been a a mentor? Um, it's oh gosh. I can't count months very well. Like five months. And what so far you you know, something you've dreamed of, something you wanted to do, has it been as fulfilling as you hoped it would be? Absolutely. Um, I have to say, like, there's been ups and downs, good days, bad days. My first day was the hardest day as a mentor. Because uh, first mentor jump I go on, my student breaks her leg on landing. Um, but it's also you take a step back and remind yourself, like, hey, I'm just teaching them some basic flying skills. And we talk about the pattern. I can't land the canopy for them. It is what it is. <laughs> it, there's only yeah. so much you can do. I never had a student get hurt in my instructional career until I was a canopy coach. And then I saw somebody get hurt as a canopy coach. And I'm like, it just it drove me bananas, drove me absolutely bananas. Because what you said, that, did I do everything to, to equip them? And mm-hmm. if I did, then there's nothing else I can do. Yeah. that And that first mentor jump, like I was, I was walking back from the field after my student had been carried away in the ambulance. And I was ready to put my stuff in my locker take my picture off the board, go home, get drunk and mope. But the other student who was on that skydive with me, an 18 year old, just adorable, absolute genius of a kid. I was like, are you okay? Can we go again? The kid asked you if you're okay. Yes. Let's go. Who is this? Beckett. I know the name. I love Beckett. He's awesome. Yep. He, uh, I bet you would recognize him. I Wild could, I hair. Could, I could send you a photo of him doing flips in his student program that, that might. Uh, he did a cartwheel 
in AFF. Well, he did. So if, if you watch the tutorial videos, the STP videos, Tommy Miller is our fake student, mm-hmm. and he is uh, simulating doing a backflip, and he brings just one leg to his chest because he has to stand on the other one because we're still on the ground. That's what Beckett saw in the video, yep. and Beckett said, well, the other guy kept one leg down, and he did his backflip <laughs> the same way, and it's amazing. Yep. But he works at a restaurant in Houston. I think we should maybe go uh, say hello to him. Will you pull up a picture? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I recognize the kid's name. Man, so kudos to, to him to have the awareness of where you were at emotionally and to check in on you. Mm-hmm. And then kudos to him to be like, yo, bitch, get back in the sky with me. Let's yep. go. And we did two more jumps that day. And man, he's he's brilliant. Like whatever discipline he chooses to pursue, he's going to be incredible at it. He's one of those assholes. Yep. I'm so happy those assholes exist, man. It, it's It's fun to watch those kids who blow people's minds. I, I was sitting in the plane one day. And a kid named uh, Dalton Swan was in, I I think, well, I don't know if you know who he is, but Nick for sure knows who he is. And Dalton just got his license. And uh, Dalton is built like a fucking two by six, like 12 foot long two by six, (laughs) tall, skinny, lanky. And he's a climber. The kid is is very aware of with good body awareness, good movement. And in the plane, whoever was organizing was preaching to the group break off. And it was like an eight way. Mm-hmm. And they were like not talking to anybody but Dalton. And they were kind of in Dalton's face and just like preaching the importance of a good. Tra- and when they landed, I asked the person, I'm like, so did he outtrack the fuck out of all of you? And the guy's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I, it was just fun to watch. And, and it was fun. To, I get that that person was transferring that information to, to Dalton, but Dal- he didn't know what Dalton... Yep. He was just one of those kids. He just fucking got it. Yep. So he also had the build for it. I can't find a picture of him. Oh, fuck you. You're useless. I so am. in the in the mentor program, you found it worth your while. What is the most rewarding... Like if you could, if you could pick one or two, uh, narrow it down, most rewarding moments you've had so far as a coach or mentor, what is it? Um... I'd say probably the end of that first day with Beckett um, and him just saying like, hey, thanks so much. Like I had such a great time today. Will you be here next Sunday? I want to jump with you again. Dope. So that, that feeling of like a reoccurrence, but also him knowing that he had a friend at the drop zone. So he's surpassed 100 jumps by now, I think. And he reached out to me still and he's like, hey, is there a day you're not mentoring and would you be willing to jump with me? Like absolutely. I would do that because we're buds now and he's still absolutely brilliant. He's probably going to outfly me. Soon enough by the yep. looks of it, man, I'm looking at this picture of him doing a backflip <laughs> and a T yep. kids. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like I, I think I could pull off that backflip right now. If I had to, he probably still made it look better than me. It, it's impressive. When you watch the video, it looks, uh, I mean, it, it was intentional, but it looks intentional and, uh, with the skill to do it, man, mm-hmm. that's crazy. You said that was one. You said there was another, um, or did I just assume that? Yeah, you, you're assuming. I, nothing comes to mind at the moment. No worries. Um, and it leads me uh, to, to a question I've really wanted to ask all night long. How long have you been at Spaceland now? Um, Time-wise. It, it comes and goes in waves. That's the thing that I have been here as home now for a year. Okay, let's go with that right there. Yeah. Because you did come and go in waves for a little bit. And I was really looking for that ultimate answer. You've been here for a year as home. Mm-hmm. You showed up here in a van down by the river. Mm-hmm. You're very pr- 
proud of your van down by the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never got a good look inside, but from the looks on the outside and the brief glances I got, it was a very nice home van. Yeah. It was, it was a nice life. It, it wasn't just a typical skydivers trashed out van. Yeah, I had everything I needed yeah. and wanted. And at some point, I see a post on Facebook, I'm selling my van, I have found my home. Mm-hmm. What's the longest you've spent in one place in the last, since you started skydiving? Uh, four months. Okay. A year now. Mm-hmm. A year. What is it about Houston that made you call it home? Um, in the van, after the first time of coming here, it was it was the vibe of people genuinely interested in my progression um, open to teaching and allowing grace for mistakes as long as you weren't a dumbass about it. Um, and, and just the, the good people. Um, and, and so as I continued in the van journey, there was, if the vibes weren't right, I always wanted to just, you know what, I'll just go back to Houston and, and recenter for a second. Cause I don't have to, I don't have to work so hard. And also because it wasn't a really big party place. Um, so that helped me kind of clear myself up from just getting drunk all the time or doing random drugs or making other stupid decisions from there. Um, and the thing that really solidified it when I came out here last year in the van, just honestly, the intention was to circle back and hang out for a little bit. And I knew I was wanting to settle down in a place for the foreseeable future, not even permanently was the thought, um, because I had some mental and physical health issues and I needed to get that straightened out with some healthcare. I knew it was going to take a few months of doctor's appointments. Um, (laughs) So I circled back thinking I'll check out here, see what's on the list, but I had a few other places to go. And that first day I had three people walk up to me over the series of the day and said, Hey, I'm so glad you're home. I'm like, okay, universe, I hear you. I get it. Now let me find housing. Mm-hmm. Nah, uh, everybody calls the same place home. Not everybody calls the same people family, and that is okay. I love that there are multiple drops in this in this world, and even in the same areas and regions, because they all cater to different personality types. Uh, I've been involved with Spaceland 17 years, and there's a lot for me to be proud of. There really is, because I've had a large influence over the direction of Spaceland for many years. Uh, I'm very blessed that Steve Boyd and Stephen Boyd trust me. Um, even their managers, for some odd reason, uh, trust me, and, and they allow me to help guide and, and steer the ship a good bit. Maybe some of the old ones. Fuck yeah, man. Oh, man Fuck them. I, fu- I fully stand by your statement. That's very true. We all lean oh, on you. Oh, man. It's, uh, but, and, and it's an honor. And so nobody would be shocked for, to hear me say that I'm so proud to call Spaceland my home. But the reason I'm the most proud to call Spaceland my home is the people and the family. And... Uh, you know, just just hearing you say that, I'm sure you saw it in my eyes. As you said, I'm like, man, that's just so fucking touching. Because I showed up to Spaceland, and when you're a new staff member to Drop Zone, you show up as the new video guy, and everybody's like, huh, what's up? And they just kind of hold you at a distance until you prove that you're going to be there long enough. And part of it is is because we're transients, not mm-hmm. just as fun jumpers, but as, as, as sport guys. And I showed up as the new instructor one day and immediately was greeted. Hey, you must be DJ, the new guy. Hey, are you the new instructor? Oh, man, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Oh, my God, blah, blah. And like it was, what the fuck? Do you guys, is this a cult? Are you going to make <laughs> me wear special secret underwear? Like, dude, what's going Like, I was kind of weirded out briefly. I was blessed because I'd already known Stephen Boyd, and uh, I don't think you know a guy named Trent Alkek. 
Um, they were teammates at the time on a team called Anomaly. Um, if you've never heard of Spaceland Anomaly and you're listening to this, stop everything you're doing, pull over in your car, don't do this while you're driving, uh, and Google or look in YouTube for Spaceland Anomaly. And realize when you're watching these videos, these are videos from like 25, 50, uh, 30 years. They're not that old. Um, they're videos like two, from 2000, eight, uh, 2004, 2005. I think that's when they yeah. were real serious. Yeah. And we're talking world medal team. They, they, uh, they, they are a world-class team. Uh, Trent uh, helps run the aircraft business Desert Sand Leasings. He's still around. We just don't see him as often. Um, so I knew them. And then another good buddy moved here. Uh, a guy named Dennis and I worked together for years. Uh, and Dennis moved away from where we worked for like six months. And then we both came to Spaceland like two weeks apart. So I, I, I has friends here, but man, that, that welcoming that your home, mm -hmm. your, your family. And I absolutely loved it. And, uh, it just, it touches me to hear that. So I'm happy. Yep. It's, it's been mostly like nothing but good vibes here. You know, the mosquitoes suck. Literally. So, how you doing? <laughs> I'd like to write a complaint to management about that. Make it stop. You know, I've, we sprayed for him a couple of times. Uh, we have a really kind fun jumper, Chris Enright, who I believe does uh, insect uh, extermination yeah. for a living, who sprayed a couple of times. But it's like, man, that only lasts for so long when you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a swamp yeah. <laughs> 100 yards we away. We live on a swamp. Yeah. Like, yeah. We just live on the east wing of the swamp. Mm-hmm. So I did not know Chris Enright was the guy who was doing all that shit for us. Yeah, super, super kind guy. And How does he do it? Does he have a vehicle, a truck, a hand sprayer? Uh, a sprayer, uh, like a backpack setup. He, uh, wow. it, it looks pretty industrial. The uh, weirdest thing is after he sprayed all around the hangar, all underneath the awning, and the thing that freaked me out is there were way more spiders up in the awning than I ever knew there were because they all started dying. And to get away from the chemicals, they all like uh, spun a web and hung down from oh, the web. No. So there's like 50 of these spiders just hanging at the end of the web that's like the perfect uh, height to run into my stupid face. So I go out to like start exercise in the morning and I'm like navigating this maze of spiders. Like, God, I've had this dream so many times. Is this actually happening? Man, they must have had to get like really far far away from yeah they were top. way <laughs> far the really long web <laughs> it took a second it took a second eh, fuck you guys <laughs> but that does sound like a nightmare situation yeah but uh man i'll i'll smash those mosquitoes right along next to you <laughs> so in coach courses we teach motivations to skydive people are in it for the thrill the sensation the rush people are in it for achievement accomplishment i want to do something i want to be able to accomplish goals uh, one of the most unknown or unrecognized uh, motivations is self-actualization. Mm -hmm. People get in the sport for self-betterment. And some people actually come to to the sport with that intent. Like, hey, this is a way I can help myself through sobriety. This is a way I can help myself with, with uh, PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something I can use for a weight, a weight loss journey. But many people don't realize the betterment of self through the sport and don't realize that is part of their motivation subconsciously. Um, it seems like you've used that a lot. Yep. Yep. And, and it's what it drew me in a lot, even from the first skydive. It was, it was the presence of, I am focused on what's right in front of me right here. Being ADHD, being neurospicy, I'm thinking about eight different things. There's so many tabs open in my brain, but when I'm skydiving, it's one thing. It's what's in front of me and what I'm doing with my body, what I'm smelling in the air. Um, I farted. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does have a history of farting in the airplane. That's no lie. Mm, I'm not a good one. 
I'm not a good one. <laughs> so you 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 get you smell the air. Yeah. Well, if you think of under canopy or even when you're jumping, like the air has smelled differently at different drop zones. So I like picking that out and seeing what it is when I'm moving around or just being present in the moment and then translating that down to my life now. And I'm in this personal growth now where I've, I've quit drinking, I've quit smoking. I've decided I'm actually here for a long time as as well as a good time, but maybe not as hard anymore. Um, Different definition of a good time. Yep. Yeah, a little bit more chill on the vibes there. Um, and and being present and acknowledging and being grateful for what I have in this moment as well on the ground. It seems like, and please tell me if I'm, I'm judging wrong and reading wrong, I'm being very judgmental in this statement, is you have led a life that has actually been very self-focused and very self-centered. And I don't mean that necessarily selfishly, but but self-focused, self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like your life is changing to where you're more interested in others than you are yourself now. Uh, it's, it's a <coughs> safe combo of both. Like, you are correct. My life has been self-centered because the only person I can rely on is me when it comes down to it, whatever uh, <coughs> part of the pendulum or specter spectrum or whatever you call it i'm on the only consistency is who i am and what i decide to do um so there there's a lot of personal accountability and and selfishness and what i spend my energy budget in what i'm willing to give myself to and and then when i am willing to give myself it better be valuable there better be intention with it and it better be received well but then back to it's a it's a balance. Something mm-hmm. I said earlier. You seem to walk away from friendships, and I say friendships. You're not really walking away from them, but you you only invest so far when you realize, hey, I need to move on. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to move on with that respect, with that still friendship. Yep. Um, uh, there's a lot of new jumpers who struggle with that, and I say struggle with it. Um, some of them unknowingly, mm-hmm. uh, some of them knowingly, and they and it's a struggle. Like, how do well, how do I deal with this? What what do I do? You're still a new jumper set and done. 305 mm-hmm. skydives, only a couple years in the sport. Mm-hmm. It's fresh for you. What advice do you have for those new jumpers who are in those positions, who are that lost, who are that uh, neurospicy? <laughs> <laughs> I love the word. Um, I mean, enjoy the, the novice part of the sport, the shiny new things. Um, take on every bit of information that you can and, and listen to everything that you can, but also take it with a grain of salt, go with your gut, go with what feels right for you. Um, and then especially being someone who's neuroatypical or a woman in the sport, or even someone just making friends in the sport, um, is to always take some time to take a step back and remember who you were outside of skydiving and keep that whole as well. Because skydiving is great. It's a great hobby. It's a great profession. It's a great, huge part of our lives. But you can also have interests and have friends and have a life outside of it. And it's okay to step back and reprioritize and restructure and go back into skydiving or not. It's whatever feels right for you. I can't think of any other way to uh, close the show. So, white boy, hit that funny button. (laughs) 